Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional sport water bottle, and that steamy beach read. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. To explore the bounds of your pleasure, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. Particularly for black women and the black women that I know, um, just in my own personal network, when we see Stacey Abrams, as I said a few weeks ago, you know, there with the HBCU education, there with her natural hair, um, there with a very imperfect story and just sharing that, um, it, that resonates with us. And then it also, you know, allows us to become vulnerable and say, you know what, it's okay. <laughs> you know, it's it's okay if I step up to this plate and take a chance on myself and to share my story with the world. So seeing people like Stacy really makes a difference and it really resonates for women who look like myself to step up and to not be afraid to uh to share their stories and just really put themselves out there. This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Fancy Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. everyone. Welcome to another episode of Pantsuit Politics. We are back from our little media trip to New York City, which we can't wait to talk about later in the episode. Today, we're going to talk about the news. We're going to talk about our conversation with Noah Rothman. We're going to share an interview we did with Courtney Hill. And as always, talk about what's on our mind outside politics. As you may have heard, we have a new book out called I Think You're Wrong, But I'm Listening, A Guide to Grace-Filled Political Conversation. You can get that on any place you get your books, including Amazon. And if you already have received your book and loved it, we would be eternally grateful for a review on Amazon. It helps more people find the book. Before we get started, we wanted to share two upcoming dates in which you can come see the magic that is Pansy Politics in person. On Thursday, this Thursday, February 28th, we will be at the Historic Artcraft Theater in Franklin, Indiana. So you can get tickets on our Facebook page. So if you're anywhere near Franklin, Indiana, and you want to see Pantsuit Politics Live, come on down. We're going to do a reading from our book and a book signing, and we'll get to meet everybody in the audience. We're very excited. Then on Saturday, March 9th, we will be at the McCracken County Public Library in Paducah, Kentucky. 
come to Paducah, y'all. It is a magical place. You can come see the Top Chef finalist, Sarah Bradley at Freight House. Then come see Sarah and Beth at the Public Library. It's going to be amazing. And we're going to do an autograph signing in the afternoon or book signing where we put our autographs in your book. So if you're anywhere near Paducah, Kentucky, or if you just want to fly to Paducah, Kentucky, which is also fine. We have an airport. P.S. We're really excited about that date as well. Friday's show is probably going to be a whole lot of around the world with the Trump administration recap because we have Jared Kushner traveling to the Middle East this week. We have President Trump in Vietnam talking with Kim Jong-un. We will be bringing you our thoughts on what transpired during those trips on Friday. We also have Mike Pence in Colombia talking about the violence in Venezuela. And we're going to spend a minute there because this conflict in Venezuela is really escalating, as is the debate in the United States over whether we ought to be involved or not. Well, I think at this point we are involved. It seemed like the country supporting the opposition leader, Juan Guaido, We're also supporting his efforts to break through a government blockade with aid, which has come from many of these countries. So the idea was we're going to push through this blockade. We're going to get aid to the country. In particular, we're going to convince the military to dump Nicolas Maduro and join the opposition. And it did not go as planned. It is not exactly an unforeseeable outcome, Mm. right? This is how our involvement militarily starts in lots of countries. We say we're here for humanitarian aid. We're going to try to facilitate a political solution. And we always seem to underestimate the will of regimes to stay in power, the will of people to support those regimes, And here we are again in what looks like a situation that is not going to get resolved peacefully. I mean, I'm not comfortable saying how much the people of Venezuela support Nicolas Maduro because I'm not sure that they do. But it does seem that he has the support of the military at this point, and it is not budging. They had a handful of people desert and quit defending the administration, but it was not the numbers they had hoped. And until they can lessen the military support or break the military support. I don't know if they have any other options with regards to the opposition. So I hate that it is escalating. Two people died. But I don't know if I mean, I think escalation is the only sort of path forward. I just don't know what their next strategy is going to be. I read a really excellent opinion piece in The Guardian about this that I shared on Patreon as part of my nightly nuance about this topic. And it talked about how military intervention from the United States would be a gift to Maduro because it will tie Mm -hmm. the efforts to unseat Maduro to sort of colonialism. And he said, and he's he's a British writer, I don't know what the truth is in this, but he said, look, Venezuelan people hate this regime. They hit the United States more. Mm. And the United States getting involved here will significantly turn the tide of public opinion in Venezuela in the opposite direction that we want. He also makes the point, and again, I don't know how true that is, but I think it's an interesting thing to chew on. And he also makes the point that China supports the regime and is likely to get involved in some way to support the regime if the United States interferes militarily. And Again, like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be in a war with China over Venezuela. I really care about what's happening to the people there. I hate that people are starving and dealing with, you know, four-digit inflation because of a cruel and selfish leader. I don't want to repeat the mistakes of the past here in Venezuela. I also think it's important to point out that in the past when we did this, we at least had the appearance and historical reputation for protecting democracies and protecting the spread of democracy, for better or for worse, that's gone, particularly under the current administration. You cannot go and buddy up to Kim Jong-un, which I'm not necessarily opposed to the summit. I think the breakthrough in the relationship, although I think which will benefit him more than us, is fine. But you can't do that and talk about how you think he's great and then turn around and be like, well, we are standing our moral authority as the United States to point out how problematic Nicolas Maduro is, which he is, and expect the people to be like, oh, thank goodness the United States is here. Like, no, no, that's not going to happen. Kim Jong-un and Mohammed bin Salman, right? We are just hanging out like 
buddy movies mm-hmm. with two of the cruelest leaders in the world this week, yet trying to tell Venezuela that it's going to be liberated from oppression. I mean, I just, again, I really don't want to discount. I have in me a strong, like, neocon streak where they're suffering in the world. I want us to go help. But everything that I am learning about history and our efforts to go help and how we get stuck for decades still trying to help and not seeming to be helpful in those efforts makes me very leery of sending our military anywhere near Venezuela, even perhaps with humanitarian aid, to be honest with you. I mean, it just it, this situation really feels like a powder keg to me. This administration has made abundantly clear that the governing principle, the North Star of their foreign policy is transactional in nature. So the Venezuelan people are not wrong to say they're here because they're going to get something out of it. Well, they'll look past anything if they're going to get something out of it. And so they would have no problem with Maduro if we were going to get something out of it, just like we look past Mohammed bin Salman and we look past Kim Jong-un because we're getting something out of it. And so, you know, I think that their skepticism of our involvement is not wrong because we've made clear that it's really not about protecting democracy. It's about what we get out of it. We'll continue to watch what happens here and let you know how Mike Pence's trip resolved on Friday. Before we move on, we need to take a second to follow up on our conversation with Noah Rothman, which inspired lots of additional conversation. Both positive and negative. It was that lots of people were upset by the conversation. Lots of people found it very difficult to listen to, but other people found it insightful and helpful. So we do, we want to make sure and point out that the, the feedback was not all negative. Well, the first thing that I want to say is we got so many messages, a surprising volume of messages from people who felt that he was condescending to us. And I did not feel that at all. I appreciate that y'all care about that. Thank you for caring about that. I did not find him to talk to us differently than he talks to anyone else. And I think his style is very academic Mm -hmm. and a little bit more strident than either of our styles, which probably affected the dynamics. But just in terms of the personal experience, which a lot of y'all were asking us about, I, I found it to be a perfectly pleasant conversation. I don't know what the vocal equivalent of resting bitch face is, but I think he has that. It's just the way he vocalizes and every way I've seen him is just it's a it's a different vocal uh, style. There's not a lot of warmth in it. It's very academic. It's very cerebral. So I had listened to enough of him in other places that I just knew that that is how he communicates. And, you know, we have to make space for all types. Not everybody can communicate in the same way, and that's okay. Well, a completely different style of that same phenomenon, I think, was Mika Brzezinski. Lots of people ask us if we found Mika to be condescending. No, I didn't. I felt like we just experienced her as she is. And it's different than either of us are, but that's okay. It doesn't bother me to be confronted with words I disagree with or someone who disagrees with my words. That, to me, is different than feeling condescended to. And I feel like I'm very sensitive to condescension. Sarah said this great thing while we were in New York about how somebody needs to encapsulate the opposite of your love language, like whatever is the thing that really ticks you off more than anything else. And for me, that is feeling like I'm being disrespected or spoken down to. And I didn't get that sense with either of these folks. Mine is having my time wasted. Just a hello announcement to the universe. Um, For me, I came into the interview a little bit defensive. I was prepared to disagree with him. I felt like he was missing some important points, but it really shifted because when I said, I think what you're missing is that it can feel empowering for someone to say, you're not crazy. There are systematic roadblocks to what you want to achieve, that that can be empowering. And he clearly had heard, thought, and been exposed to this before, when he said, I'm out there, I'm talking to all these groups that that are social justice groups, and this is what they point out to me. And so for me, like it kind of, sh- I thought, okay, he has hurt. You know, we had an email for, that said, we wish someone from the social justice movement had been there to represent the side. Well, first of all, that hurts my feelings because I feel like I'm a member of the social justice movement. <laughs> and second of all, I think that he's clearly doing that. Like he's clearly, that he went on Morning Joe and had that viral conversation to me, says that he is he is more than prepared because he could have just gone on the Ben Shapiro's of the world. He certainly didn't have to come on our podcast and just flame it up and 
and go down a certain route, but he does go and expose himself to people he knows is going he he knows are going to really disagree with him and also criticize the far right as well as the far left. So I was willing to give him a lot more leeway because of his overall sort of approach. So I did not love the book. I read it carefully. I got real mad in the first chapter and almost didn't read anymore. And that's when I took the step back, as I said to him, and tried to hear him out and think to myself, well, here's what you're missing. And as I said in the show, he always got around to what I thought he was missing. Now, there were differences in emphasis and he points to examples of things that are not important to me. He discounts things that are important to me. But I found his book and the conversation we had with him to be valuable in clarifying my own thinking. And that's really what I want out of political conversations. I want to be pushed. I want to hear things that make me mad so that I can step back and examine why is this making me mad and what's the truth in that and where is there stuff in me that is not true or helpful or productive or wise or connected to history. So I think lots of people heard things they disagreed with. I think lots of people said, well, he missed this and your points are valid and interesting and right. And to me, that means it was a valuable use of our time. You know, I feel like if our conversations here aren't getting harder, then we're not doing it right because we do want to go deeper and push ourselves more. And I personally want to expose myself more to attitudes and folks that that are going to challenge me and that sometimes I walk away from saying, nope, I don't agree with you at all. But I learned something in the process. and. And that's really how I felt about that entire discussion. I also just think we get caught up on his language. I wish that he had a different terminology for what he describes as a social justice movement, because I think when he says that people hear you hate gay rights, civil rights, women's rights, and I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he is trying to really zero in on an extreme part of that movement as again as he's starting he's trying to zero in on an extreme part of the right and their reactions in the moment and, and so i just i think honestly for me and a lot of people i just get so cut off on the fact that he calls it the social justice movement i wish he had different terminology because i don't think he's critiquing the entire social justice movement i think that he is saying something more nuanced than that that probably takes an entire book to explain and can't be encapsulated in a short podcast interview I think that's right. It was very clear as you read the book that he has great respect and admiration for the work that is done to get America closer to an equal society. Now, I get that we're all going to have different definitions of when this happens. But what I think he is talking about is there is a place where you can cross the line between looking for an equal society and get into a vengeful society and one that becomes what it says, you know, movements that become what they say they are fighting against. That line is going to be different for all of us. I think talking about where that line is is really valuable. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's something we talk about a lot with people's reactions on Twitter, even when we were talking on IGTV yesterday about Dianne Feinstein, that we don't all have to agree on where sort of the the, the 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 proper rate of outrage is and sort of pulling that apart for every person. You know, we're not all going to agree on how high the stakes are. We're not all going to agree on this, the right solution and the right strategy moving forward. But if we do not at least agree that we have to listen to each other and at least hear each other's concerns, then I don't know how we move forward. And I think there's a there's this weird thing where we do how much I care about the problem is exactly equal to how many solutions I think there are <laughs> or something like I, if I if I think climate change is a real problem, then there must be only one solution or else I wouldn't think it was a problem or it's not as if it's not as important a problem if there are more than one solution or there's a compromise available. And I just I don't think that's right. I don't think that that is the way to get anything done. I also don't think it's just an accurate description of many of the problems and solutions we're facing. And when we do that to each other, we shut so many 
people out, and that just creates more roadblocks for what we're trying to do. When you shut someone down, they're just going to become a roadblock in the way of what you want to achieve in a democracy. And as far as I can tell, we still live in a democracy. So, I mean, I think that that is something that's really important to always think about. Do I, you, They don't have to be an advocate or an ally to not be a roadblock. There is space in between there. I don't have to get Noah Rothman and his points completely aligned with mine in order for him to not be a total roadblock in what I want to achieve. Does that make sense? It does make sense to me. And I think it kind of gets to something that I think is one of the more nuanced points in his books. His book is very critical of intersectionality. And at first glance, and you probably heard this in the conversation too, it feels like a rejection completely of the idea that the way we treat marginalized groups impacts the way we treat other marginalized groups, right? That everything is connected in terms of power structures and inequality. Well, he kind of teases that out more as you follow along in the book. And what I take from him and and what I think I believe myself, I'm still working through this, is that intersectionality is a perfectly appropriate way to look at the world. And and for me, that's definitely true. I mean, I, I'm a yoga teacher. Like, I do believe everything is everything in a lot of senses, right? I do believe that everything is connected. And that doesn't always make for good policy. It also can lead us quickly away from democracy. And so an example of that from the right that I started thinking about and talking with Sarah about while we were in New York is terrorism and the Patriot Act. Because once you decide that everything is everything, so it's not just who flew these planes into our buildings on 9-11. It's who all in the world poses any sort of threat to the United States and democracy. That's an everything is everything way of thinking, right? Once you start going down that path and the stakes are really high, the stakes are existential, and you say everything is everything, you start to use the power of our government in ways that ultimately undermine democracy while trying to safeguard it. And that's what I think the Patriot Act did. I think it went way too far in terms of surveillance. And we know now some of the abuses of power that happened during this era when a lot of people supported the Patriot Act because they were trying to keep us safe here in the United States. And I think there's a parallel to the climate change conversation in the Green New Deal. I get the intersectionality at the core of the Green New Deal. I also think that when we're in an everything is everything mindset and the stakes are extremely high as they are with climate change, it leads us to act in ways that could ultimately undermine democracy while trying to safeguard us. And so that's a challenging line of thought. And it feels really uncomfortable to level any criticism at anything touching on matters of identity. I also think that it's valuable. I think it's a valuable thought experiment and something that is worth being on the lookout for. And I do think that a big part of his point came out in our interview with him. The book takes aim at the right. Almost every chapter says, Here's how the right is doing this, too. And I do think that he is trying to open some minds. You know, there's a, there's a feeling of kind of get your people in it to me that I appreciate and respect. For the left, the question is not just, will this also undermine democracy, but is it going to understand undermine our progress? And for the social justice movement, whose goal is progress towards issues of social justice in many intersecting groups and identity groups, then I do think we get lost in, is this going to move us forward? I think the example he uses from the Women's March is a perfect example. We take this moralistic outlook that the only way we can get justice is to protect our perspective at all cost and not give an inch that there could be problems. And that's how we got into Huge issues in the women's movement and the civil rights movement way before the Women's March, where you had feminists being racist and you had civil rights activists being sexist. Okay, so, you know, because the answer is not zero tolerance. How can we get everybody a 100 percent score on 
issues of identity and social justice, the metric for me is how do we how do we advance so that we get more justice for more groups? And you know, the way that we can shut it down and turn on each other, I don't think progresses that metric for me. I see it happen a lot. I've seen it happen. You know, I'm not that old, but I've, I'm old enough to have seen it happen before. And, I, I, you know, I'm not saying that we throw it out. And I don't think that's what he's saying either. But I, I do think there is room for criticism of the left and of social justice movements and not just among each other. I think just because the idea that someone on the right cannot see any flaws or have any valid criticisms of social justice movements on the left is not true. I think there's a real sense of, I can talk about my mama, but nobody else can. And I don't think that's positive either. I don't think that moves us forward. I don't think that, that's not to say we have to, you know, let in every criticisms. I'm not, I'm not interested in white supremacist criticisms of the social justice movement, obviously. But again, I think that that doesn't mean there is no space on the right for any criticisms of the left that's valid, and there's no space on the left for any valid criticism of the right. What I feel most intensely right now in every conversation where our listeners on the left disagree with me to any extent or in any kind of public dialogue between left and right is the sense, the valid one, that because of this administration's actions, there is no space for any criticism of the left from the right. And I think that we are rapidly entering a space where it's kind of like the Affordable Care Act. We talked a long time ago, way back in the quaint days before Donald Trump on this podcast, about how we can't have a valid conversation about healthcare in this country, a rich, robust conversation that leads us to good solutions. If what we say is you either want the government to pay for everything for everyone for all time and don't care if we get you know bankrupted as a country in the process or you want everyone to die because you don't care about sick people, that's not a good space for discussion. Mm-hmm. And I think that what is happening through this administration and look, I understand why it's happening is if you are right leaning on any issue in any way, if you have any kind of conservative bent. You must think it's okay that we separated families at the border. You must think it's okay that we put kids in cages, right? That comes up almost every time there is any disagreement. Well, the right is so morally bankrupt that you're not entitled to any position anymore. And I understand that. And as a person who did not vote for this president and believes this administration has done terrible things that will damage our country for a very long time, I get it. Also, if the entirety of our discussion becomes my way or the highway on the left, that is not a healthy thing for America either. If we can't hear from someone like Noah Rothman, who also does not support the president blindly and who's very critical of this administration often, I think we're kind of lost. This is not to say that we listen and agree with him on anything and certainly not everything. But I think it's not a healthy space to say America is fundamentally two groups now and two groups only. And you're either all in or you're all out. Mm -hmm. Well, in that spirit, we're going to move on to our regular segment on our show, which is complimenting the other side. Beth, who do you want to compliment on the other side? I wanted to compliment uh, Congresswoman Haley Stevens, who we've had the pleasure of meeting. And I know you know Haley very well, Sarah. I mean, it's not a big deal. She's my friend and we text. It's cool. Let me not call her Haley. Let me call her Congresswoman Stevens. Um, I'm going to keep calling her Haley. I love that she is creating pop-up offices within her district. She has talked about how her district office, the permanent office, will be for some people in Michigan's 11th district a 45-minute drive away. And that's not going to work for everyone. And everyone in her district is entitled to constituent services. She says there are 24 communities within her district and over 700,000 people, and they are all entitled to her time and her district staff's time. And so this past week, they set up shop at a public library and they worked with people on taxes and Medicare and Social Security problems and Veterans Affairs and immigration. And they're going to keep doing that. And they're going to announce a week in advance where they're going to be and 
when, and they're going to open up shop. And I think that is a great model that I hope lots of other representatives replicate in their districts. And I'm not at all surprised that that kind of innovation and care for the people that they're serving is coming from Congresswoman Stevens. So awesome job. I mean, she's the best person. This is the best idea. I will not be calibrating my comments on this because I love her. We were interns at Hillary for America together a very, very long time ago. I mean, she's always been a supporter of the podcast, and, and I just adore her. And I think this is a stinking brilliant idea. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional support water bottle, and that steamy bee treat. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. To explore the bounds of your pleasure, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high-quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year is going by so quickly, and I had a little bit of a moment of panic about it this week. I thought to myself, I'm losing track of time. It's going so fast. It's going to be December before I know it. My kids are growing up, and I just kind of was spinning out. And I stopped, and I closed my eyes, and I pictured my last therapist, who I haven't seen since the end of 2020. But I remember the way he talked me through these issues, and I sort of channeled his energy I put my feet on the ground and thought, this is just how time feels now. And there's nothing wrong with that or right about it. It just is. But those skills that I learned in therapy are so important to helping me take a second to celebrate what's going right and decide what I want to adjust for the rest of the year. If you're thinking of starting therapy, which I cannot recommend enough, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Pantsuit. The second most stressful thing after planning a trip is packing for it. This is true. This is a true story. I have just told you the clothes I have don't fit. They don't go together the way I want them to or I'm missing some essential piece. And then I discovered Quince. It's my go-to for high-quality vacation essentials. Like this premium European linen dress that's going to get us all through the heat wherever we're traveling. Blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, premium luggage options, and so much more. All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than their similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to all of us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I got big plans for my Quince chiffon pleated skirt in Japan. They like a loose, flowy look over there to battle the heat. I will be adopting that strategy with that skirt. Pack your bags with high quality essentials from Quince. Go to quince.com slash pantsuit for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash pantsuit to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash pantsuit. Okay, I want to compliment. We're going to sweep up everybody, but I'm going to highlight a few. All the Republicans standing in criticism of the president's executive action declaring a national emergency at the border. There are many of them, both currently serving in Congress that have served in past Congresses. We have some former national security personnel all criticizing this. One, Lamar Alexander, who I really like. He is an imperfect person, but he's such a strong sort of throwback to the the way the Senate used to be, which is a moderate who's willing to work across the aisle. It's what he gets called up to do. I feel like a lot of the bipartisan stuff. He said the president has made a strong case for increased border security, but declaring a national emergency is unnecessary, unwise, and inconsistent with the U.S. Constitution. 
We also had strong words from our own Senator, Rand Paul. Everybody take a breath. We're going to say something nice about Rand Paul. I really liked his quote. He said, I, too, want stronger border security, including a wall in some areas. But how we do things matters. Over 1,000 pages dropped in the middle of the night and extra constitutional executive actions are wrong, no matter which party does them. Hear, hear. Hear, hear, Senator Paul. Great. I have sorority snaps for that. Mm -hmm. I totally Mm -hmm. agree. How we do things matters. That is honestly, can we just have a how we do things matters party? Because that's the party I would like to join. I think that that's so important. I still love Jared Kushner saying we have to stop doing things just to do things. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Clearly he wasn't able to stop this train, but keep saying that until somebody starts listening. Next up, we're going to share a conversation with Courtney Hill, who describes herself as the chief navigator. And I love that term at Polaris Strategies. You'll love that term even more when you hear the origin story of Polaris, which supports Black candidates for office and nonprofits looking to amplify Black voices. We are so happy to be joined by Courtney Hill. Courtney has a firm called Polaris Strategies that she's going to tell us all about. We were fortunate to meet you in Washington, D.C., and thank you so much for being here, Courtney. Tell the people all about yourself. Well, thank you for having me, Beth and Sarah. I really appreciate the opportunity. My name is Courtney Hill, and I'm a consultant based out of the Washington, D.C. metro area, and I specifically work with Black candidates looking to run for office. And I also work with nonprofits who are looking to diversify their programming to include a bigger uh, and more specific focus on Black lives and issues. I started many years ago in college at Virginia State University. It's a small HBCU in Petersburg, Virginia, which is south of Richmond. My first campaign was Bill Clinton. He's looking for some field organizers, and I was a starving college student. They were paying. (laughs) (laughs) So I signed up, and I just got the bug, and I've been going ever since. And here I am, some 20-plus years later, really looking to help more Black candidates get their seat at the table. And that's what I've really been focusing on on the past five years in particular, and really just um, helping to train Black candidates and um, helping them to get their seat at the table and help amplify Black voices. What do you see are the biggest roadblocks to that? Uh, I would say uh, fundraising, mm-hmm. money. Uh, As I'm sure you ladies know, that's always an issue across the board, but um, it's very hard for Black candidates. One, because we just come to the table uh, when when people finally uh, make this decision for themselves. They bring um, a lot of baggage, if you will, a lot of insecurities. And so that all plays into their ability to, uh, to ask for money. And these are people who are out in the community, typically out in their community, moving and shaking, doing all kinds of things. But I find that with, um, particularly with Black women, when it comes to um, asking money for themselves or for things that are important to them, it becomes um, a very big obstacle and and roadblock. And so um, I find that money, raising money is is very difficult, um, as well as mapping their stories. Um, you find a lot of times a lot of people are afraid to share their stories, um, particularly if they've had a, a lot of pain and a lot of uh, uh, issues throughout their lives. And so that's, that's an issue as well, getting people uh, to get comfortable with sharing their stories and being vulnerable in, in front of the world and um, having people judge you. <laughs> yeah. what, what kind of impact does someone like Stacey Abrams have for you and the candidates that you work with? I feel like she's just been so open and forthright about her journey and in a way that people have responded to very positively. Absolutely. And I think we talked about it at the panel a few weeks ago, uh, particularly for Black women and the Black women that I know, um, just in my own personal network, when we see Stacey Abrams, as I said a few weeks ago, you know, there with the HBCU education, there with her natural hair, um, there with a very imperfect story and just sharing that, um, it, that resonates with us. And then it also, you know, allows us to become vulnerable and say, you know what, it's okay. <laughs> you know, it's, it's okay if I step up to this plate and take a chance on myself and to share my story with the world. So seeing people like Stacy really makes a difference and it really resonates for women who look like myself to step up and to not be afraid to, uh, to share their stories and just really put themselves out there. It helps. It helps when we see someone like that and other people like Stacey Abrams, Abrams who have shared their, uh, their imperfect stories, their imperfect lives um, with the world. It, it, it motivates us and encourages us to, uh, to not be afraid 
and to and to be vulnerable and to share those stories and to help uh, incorporate that in our platform because those stories need to be shared. People need to hear that. And I think, you know, it, it's important for black candidates, but I think that it speaks to candidates all across the board. And so I just I really appreciate Stacey just saying, you know what? Yes, this happened. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it was bad and it, and it was bad for my family and it was a hard time, but we got through it. And this is why I'm running. <laughs> you know what? I experienced all these things growing up and having to take care of my family, having going into debt having to make, you know, uh, payment arrangements (laughs) on my debt, you know, and that's one of the reasons why I'm running. And so I just think that her story, her narrative has been so helpful for, for people and for candidates that I particularly work with and focus on. We've had this conversation about women candidates and how fundraising is such a challenge. And it all seems so circular because that ability to develop this great story is often what Mm -hmm. unlocks the money. But another conversation that we've had about women in fundraising is that women who aren't running for office are starting to step up their game as contributors. And I wonder if you see that in, in the community of people interested in amplifying Black voices as well, and what advice you have to people who aren't interested in being candidates but want to be involved. You know what? I always recommend and I even tell young people this. I have two daughters, one in college and one in high school. You know, work on campaigns, volunteer mm-hmm. on campaigns. That's, that's just an easy way to get connected and to learn the ropes, the in and outs. And, you know, and don't just do fields, you know, because a lot of times, you know, campaigns, <laughs> they want to stick you in fields. But, you know, I'm always telling, you know, people to just, you know, yeah, do feel because that's important. I think feel wins at elections. <laughs> but, you know, do other things. Work, you know, learn how to do strategy, work on yeah. data, you know, how to, you know, uh, navigate van and vote files. You know, those things are just as important. Um, but to answer your, your question specifically, Beth, in regards to fundraising, uh, it's interesting that you bring that up because I am in the beginning phases of starting a PAC here in Virginia um, to help black women candidates because funding is such a big issue for us. And um, we're so scared to uh, dig into our networks and and do those personal asks to run for office. And so, you know, I'm telling folks to, you know, work on campaigns, get involved within their communities. Um, If they see themselves looking to run later on in the future, maybe, you know, start organizing, building their their network early on, you know, particularly for people who are looking to run, you know, three and four years down the line. Start organizing your network, you know, and start putting feelers out. And if you can raise money early, (laughs) that's even better. You know, I'm I'm all about, you know, long-term planning um, and, and, and raising early money. And then, you know, getting connected to PACs and organizations who are collectively raising money for candidates. Um, you know, I have a conference call tomorrow with a group of friends, um, just people in my own personal network. Some of them connected into politics. Uh, some of them are not, but they see the need to raise money for black women candidates here in Virginia. And so we have a conference call tomorrow night to get the ball rolling uh, to start this, this black pack here in Virginia to help raise a significant amount of money for black candidates in 2020. So there are a lot of ways you can get involved. You know, not everyone needs to run for office, but you can certainly work on campaigns. You can raise money <laughs> for candidates. Uh, and, and it doesn't have to be through a pack. You know, starting a pack is a big endeavor, um, but it could be giving to other organizations who have um, a, a specific focus on candidates who, uh, who really resonate and speak to um, your value and your belief system. I love the idea of starting early with fundraising and just because so much of it is, it's just a comfort level. And when yeah. you see like, I can raise money, I don't need to be a Coke brother and I can ask people for money and it's fine. And I can, the sun still comes up. It's just, it's just a comfort level. It's just getting your feet wet with it. Oh, absolutely. And I was speaking to one of my sorority sisters who, uh, who's going to uh, join me in, in this PAC endeavor. And she's also thinking about running for office, you know, down the line. And, and she's great. I mean, she has just, I mean, she has this light and energy about her, but she said, you know what, Courtney, being a part of this pack is really going to challenge me, but it's also going to help me, 
you know, when I run in a few years. And so this is going to be good personal development and practice for me. So yes, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And so she's just like, you know, I'm a little, I'm a little scared, but um, I think this is going to be good for me to raise money for other women, but also for myself when, you know, when it's my time to step up to the plate and run for office. Yep. So, um, you know, it just really made me uh, happy and, and um, encourage me uh, and really encourage me because, you know, you have doubts when, you know, starting any kind of new endeavor. And so hearing her story just really um, encouraged me and and, and then let me know that I was, uh, I was doing the right thing. Can you give some more granular kind of nuts and bolts about developing that network? So if I'm listening and I'm a young black woman and I want to work with you someday, if I want to be poised to be a good candidate to work with you in the future or someone like you, what what should I be doing to kind of develop that network and, and get ready to run a good campaign? Actually, uh, I have a couple of young ladies who are in the Running Start program who I met a few weeks ago, and they, they, they came up to me and said, I want to be a part of whatever you're doing. Can I shadow you? And that's how I got started as well. And, and, and realizing that not every young person or person has that, you know, proactive kind of attitude. And so, you know, I love when young women, uh, or just women, I've had, you know, uh, older, wiser women come up to me and say, you know what, I just want to shadow you. I just want to, you know, maybe just, you know, uh, volunteer my services for your firm just to get my feet wet and just to see the uh, the nuts and bolts of what goes on behind the scenes. And so, you know, I'm, I'm a big I'm big on shadowing. Um, I'm big on volunteering. Um, I have two young women who are who are going to be doing that. And actually, one, um, I was able to uh, get her a paid opportunity on one of the campaigns that I'm working on <laughs> oh, right now. One of the yeah, she's actually going to be uh, doing social media for one of my candidates, and uh, she's going to be getting paid very well. And so I was just happy to get that opportunity uh, for her. And I'm just blessed um, that my candidate was o- was able to pay her because I'm really big about. Um, paying your people uh, for their work and um, just was just happy to be a vessel for that young lady. So shadowing and, um, you know, just being open and available to people. I'm really good at gauging the room or just, you know, when I meet people, you know, and so I get those um, timid people. You know, the people who you can just kind of see like, oh, you know, what? there may be some interest. And so, you know, I always just try to um, make myself very friendly and available um, to people who may not just walk up to me and say, hey, can I shadow you? And so, you know, I'm really good about gauging people in the room and then um, uh, and just being available to people. I'm, I'm known to just walk up to people as well. <laughs> just, uh, you know, try to, you know, break, break break down some some doors and start the conversation because sometimes people just need to be approached next as well. So, um, you know, I'm big about um, just being available and being approachable. Well, and I would point out that you've pointed out your sorority connections several times. And so tapping networks, joining networks as you come up is, is a tool that will continue to serve you long past your college days. Oh, absolutely. And then, you know, I'm a mom and, you know, a lot of moms who work with me on my campaigns, yep. <laughs> they, you know, they, they've stepped up to help me with this pack. Um, you know, some of them, you know, help me with the day to day. And, you, you know, it's just that people see you out doing really good things and, um, you know, they want to help. And so, you know, yes, my sorority uh, sisters have stepped up. My mom network has stepped up. Um, I'm also involved in a lot of other community organizations. And so, you know, bird travels fast. And um, <laughs> this town, particularly in this area, is, is a small town. And so people see you out and about and they see you doing good work and they want to be a part of that. And so, you know, the ask become very easy. And sometimes mm-hmm. they're not asked. Some people just say, hey, you know, y'all get an email or direct message saying, hey, Courtney, I don't know <laughs> what I want to do right now, but I know I just want to be a part of whatever you're doing. And so um, I get that a lot of, as well. So, um, yes, I do a lot of asking, but sometimes people just they just step up to the plate because they see me out doing good work. If you're talking to someone who's interested in public service but doesn't know exactly where they want to start, how do you guide them mm-hmm. through the decision making process? Sometimes, you know, I run into people who are just really passionate about certain issues and they think they want to run for office. But then after having, you know, a coffee or sit down with them and just talking them through what that looks like, (laughs) what that requires, how they would have to organize their networks and really do some really uh, big and specific asks. You know, a lot of people say, you know what, running for office may not be for me. 
but I think I want to get involved with this organization or, you know, I think I want to get connected to this uh, grassroots group here. And so I'm pretty connected um, outside of politics. Um, I'm I'm really passionate about a lot of issues that are going on. And so I try to stay up to date and current um, about all things uh, in and outside of politics. So if I come across someone who says, you know what, this may not be for me, you know, we'll get them connected to, you know, to, to, to people and, and causes and issues that they're really passionate about. And so a lot of that, Beth and Sarah, is just walking through, being patient <laughs> with people, because some people don't get it, you know, in, yeah. in one sitting. So, you know, so it, sometimes it takes, uh, you know, a couple of sittings uh, with, with individuals to really walk them and talk them through the process of running for office and really deciding if that's something that they want to do um, and just talking about the level of commitment to it, um, running for office and even after running for office, you know, do you have that time commitment? Are you willing to sacrifice, you know, uh, your family, your friends, um, you know, your work-life balance will be interrupted. So walking through those things and then just, you know, being able to uh, help them make that decision on whether they really want to run and commit to something like that. And if not, you know, navigate them to other organizations and um, causes where they still can um, have their seat at the table and amplify their voices. Well, Courtney, how can people get connected with you if they are listening to you thinking, I want to be a part of anything she's a part of, which I totally understand having met you in person. (laughs) Absolutely. You have this electric energy about you. and, And I am so grateful for the work you're doing. So how can people find you? Well, my website is www.polarisstrategies.org. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Courtney, C-O-U-R-T-N-E-Y, my name, A. Hill. Um, I'm also on Instagram at polarisstrategies.com. And then I'm also on Facebook, of course, at polarisstrategiesns. And that S stands for the North Star. North Star is just another word for Polaris strategy. The slaves used the North Star way back in the day to help guide them to freedom. And so that's why I chose that name, because that's what I'm doing. I'm helping, you know, um, candidates. And And I don't work just with Black candidates. You know, I have a candidate. I'm out in Colorado right now. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets look just like a dryer sheet, but it's ultra concentrated liquidless laundry detergent. It's the best of all worlds. Earth Breeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and your skin. So it's good for sensitive skin. It reduces plastic waste. All of these things are true and amazing, but let's get to the heart of it. Y'all know I have a laundry system. You know it revolves around training children as young as possible to do their own laundry. Earth Breeze sheets feels like they were invented for this. Because littles maybe sometimes struggle with those big, heavy jugs. Or maybe you worry about the pods, but here we go. Here we go, y'all. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets. It's like the perfect solution. A child as young as two can handle these sheets. And even with toddlers, like you can get them involved. And this is a way to get them helping with laundry even before they could do it themselves. Ugh, gotta love it so much. Right now, our listeners can receive 40% off Earth Breeze just by going to earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. That's earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick and ugh, out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. We 
We do quite a bit of hosting here at the Silvers household, and I think there is nothing that completes a table for dinner. Like a beautiful loaf of bread and wild grain has made that so simple because they send gorgeous loaves of sourdough bread. Lots of spins on the ingredients, but always just this fantastic, high quality, easy to bake in 25 minutes or less from frozen bread that turns out perfectly every single time. I also have to tell you about the free croissants for life that come with your wild grain orders. And those croissants make the morning, your brunch, maybe your late night snack, flaky and like you're sitting in a French cafe and they're just perfect every single time. That's what I love about Wild Grain. It's easy, it's consistent, it's fully customizable. It is the first ever Bake From Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. For a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com pantsuit to start your subscription. You heard me, free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit, or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. I was running for a U.S. Senate seat. And so um, I, I'm, I truly believe that I'm helping um, navigate people to their bigger goals and purposes. So that's the backstory of my company's name. So thank you for this opportunity, Beth and Sarah. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Courtney. Beth, what is on your mind outside politics? Well, I've just spent a whole lot of time with you. We've been hanging and out. So I've been thinking about our, our trip. One thing I wanted to share, a lot of people ask us about our Morning Joe appearance, why we didn't promote it more. That's because it came together really, really fast. That was a real last minute situation. We had a whirlwind week last week where we both went to Nashville to talk to Mike Huckabee for his show. We flew from Nashville together to New York and we found out that we were going to be doing that like on Tuesday night. Mm -hmm. So we're just like sitting and refreshing, refreshing, refreshing our email to get the confirmation booking the plane tickets at the last possible moment. And then we just kind of took all the planes, trains, and automobiles everywhere. Yes. So we got to New York on Thursday. We met with our amazing publicist, Barbara, and then she was able to book us on Bloomberg Radio. So we did Morning Joe in the morning, obviously. We do want to confirm for everyone asking that Willie Geist is a delightful human being. Very tall. Could not have been more generous and lovely to talk with. He was wonderful. Before we started recording, he said, we had Andrew McCabe on, but this will be the most important book we talk about all week. Hmm, Willie, thank you so much. He was so nice. The whole crew and everybody at NBC was really great. Yeah, we had a good experience everywhere we were. The Bloomberg folks were yep. terrific. Carol Masser was awesome. It was awesome to meet her. We're hoping to go back and do some TV with Bloomberg on our next trip through New York. So this is just a whole new world for us. We're figuring it out as we go. We'll communicate as much as we can on social media as things are happening. But here's the bottom line, you guys. It It is very last minute. Yep. It just is not a thing that we're going to have a lot of advance notice about, I think. We also treated ourselves... To a little bit of Broadway. We went and saw Mean Girls, and it was so good. I texted my friend who recommended we see Mean Girls, and I said, how many days before I stop singing, I am Regina George, and I am a massive deal? And she was like, uh, I've never. So in my head, in my head all the time. All the reasons I love Tina Fey were on display in that show, because her writing is just, you get lost in how funny it is until she kind of like hits you in the face with something important. She's like, wake up, stop just laughing because they're important things too. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened with Mean Girls. It was just, it was a wonderful modernization of the movie. Yeah. They added in all this great social media commentary that was fantastic. Exactly. And and it also had lots of really poignant moments, like when Karen was talking about how a boy had like uploaded her nude pictures to a porn site and, and she was like, Maybe we could just tell boys to stop doing that. And the whole and audience just, was and like, it hangs yes! for a second. Yep. Yeah. I mean it's it was just brilliantly written and a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, we laughed our booties off. The music's great. The choreography was really wonderful. Worth the cost of admission is towards the end of the show, she says, one of the characters says, remember, just because you're feeling attacked 
That's a feeling, not a fact. Oh, mm, that's so good. So good. So good. And it also just reminds me of like the rules that are, are good rules for life, really. Wednesdays, we wear pink. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Yoga mm-hmm. pants one day a week. I mean, there's, there's some good stuff in there. I love it. I just thought it was a lot of fun. Really, really enjoyed it. And I was glad that we did that. We ate some really good food mm-hmm. while we were gone. We had some really good conversations. We definitely almost missed a flight. Oh, my goodness. Well, pivoting back to the Wednesdays where we're, we wear pink, I do want to give a quick Oscar summary because everybody wore pink. That's the first red carpet summary you need. There was so much pink. People were either in pink Black velvet or like mirrors. Those were your three options for the red carpet at the Oscars this year. It was a hostless ceremony, which I think you would have liked, Beth. I think you might want to give it another try. Because I think all the the silliness the host make us sit through might be one of your biggest objections to the ceremonies. And it was so much better without the like man on the street, let's all take a selfie silliness. We got Tina, Amy, and Maya at the beginning with like a miniature monologue. And then we just we just were buzzing through. We were getting all the emotion from the winners. We were getting amazing, very emotional performance from Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. And some really Olivia Coleman shockingly won Best Actress, beating Glenn Close, who everyone thought was going to win. I know Glenn Close deserves an Oscar. Please don't at me. But Olivia Coleman's speech was a delight. You have to watch that, even if you watch nothing else. I did watch Olivia Coleman's speech this I morning. I mean, it's so sweet. So sweet and hilarious. Also, I tweeted, we can all just take a moment and think about how amazing the new season of The Crown is going to be because Olivia Coleman takes over the role of Queen Elizabeth, and I'm here for it. Yeah, she is delightful in every way. I loved the SNL where Cecily Strong played her and was like, no, and if you know me, I can say whatever I want and do whatever I want. It's amazing. (laughs) It's so true. We did have a a little bit of a controversy with the best picture, Green Book, which was not really under anybody's estimation, the best picture. I don't understand how this happened. It was controversial because it's seen as sort of a white savior movie. The family of one of the historical characters in the movie is not supportive of the film. It's just lots of problems. And there's so many other good options, like Black Panther, Black Klansman, A Star is Born. Really, a favorite. So many other good options. I don't know how it happened. I think it's just going to go immediately in the all the write-ups where we talk about why the heck did Crash win Best Picture. We'll just be like, why the heck did Crash and Green Book win Best Picture? But it is what it is, and now it's over. And so we're going to have to not get as many critically acclaimed films because they save them all to the end of the year for Oscar bait. But I loved it. I still think it was fun to watch, and I enjoyed everybody tweeting along with me. Yeah, not my thing at all, but it was really lovely to pick up the phone and have all the tweets be about the Oscars instead of anything else. It was just like a, I could take a breath for yep. a second. I, and I started thinking, maybe I'm just going to turn all of our social media over to Sarah because it's just really not my thing these days. <laughs> I like doing my nightly nuances where I can sort of geek out on court opinions and stuff. But, man, I'm getting worn out with social media. <laughs> well, then I got bad news because I think I'm going to be doing Cal Newport's digital decluttering over Lint. So I hope there's a pantsuit politics presence on social media come Easter. No, it's not true. I love some. I love our people. Just, you know, just the the scrolling is where it gets really overwhelming. It's so me. true. And it was lovely to scroll this morning and have everything be about film. I'll take it any day. Or dresses. Thank you all. Or jewelry. Or dresses. Even yes. better. I would like to say that I have seen so many pictures of Lady Gaga and that is what a movie star looks like. Mm-hmm. Holy moly. I loved everything about her. You know it was the Breakfast at Tiffany's Diamond, right? I did not know that. The, like the actual that. one from Breakfast at Tiffany's. That's what she was wearing. That's awesome. Well, thank you all for joining us for this episode of Pansy Politics. If you're new here, welcome. We're so glad. We just jumped right in. But hopefully you will stick with us and learn a little bit more about us and let us start to learn about you. Definitely check out our Instagram where Sarah starts every day with a little morning news brief and Instagram stories. And we have an IGTV episode once a week. We will be back in your ears on The Nuanced Life on Wednesday and here again on Friday to wrap up the week. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. Thanks for making us sound better, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our managing director, which means we could not make it without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you, Elise. 
We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help us make the show. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, Cherry Haas, Sarah's husband, Nicholas Holland, and my husband, Chad Silvers. Our theme music is composed and performed by Dante Lima. The music under our ads is composed and performed by Dylan Garvin. Learn more about our lives, live events that we're involved in, and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.